0: This is episode 267 with acclaimed author, coach, 239 marathoner, and my brother from another mother, Matt Fitzgerald. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode features my fellow running coach, my fellow 239 marathoner, and my fellow Fitzgerald, Matt Fitzgerald. Matt is the endurance space's most prolific writer with more than 30 book titles to his name. We're talking about the art and skill of pacing today, how to improve your ability to pace well, what mistakes to avoid, how to balance intuitive pacing with your GPS watch, what listen to your body actually means, and more. If you're new here, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. I want to help you make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel at youtube.com slash strengthrunning. And you can find me on Instagram at jasonfitz1. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where all of this began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world, no matter how fast they are, with our award-winning blog, free email courses on topics like strength training, nutrition, injury prevention, and improving your mindset, plus all of Strength Running's training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. You can learn more about those at strengthrunning.com coaching. We have a new sponsor today that I'm absolutely thrilled to introduce you to. London-based brand Sore Running makes high-performance apparel that I've been loving over the last five months or so. If you watch our YouTube videos, you'll probably see me rocking a ridiculously short pair of blue one-inch split-leg shorts. Their stuff is high-end, ensuring elite-level gear for everyone with technical fabrics and an ergonomic fit. See for yourself at soarrunning.com and make sure you use code SRUN15. That'll save you 15% off your order until the end of October. We're also supported by my favorite electrolyte company, Element. This summer, prevent the symptoms of electrolyte imbalances like headaches, cramps, fatigue, and weakness with Element. If you've eliminated most processed foods, you're likely eliminating the largest source of sodium in your diet, according to the FDA. Get a free gift with your purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. They'll send you a sample pack with every flavor that they offer so you can try them all out before committing. I highly recommend the watermelon. That's drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning to claim your free gift. All right, my guest today likely needs no introduction author of famous books like How Bad Do You Want It and 80-20 Running, Matt Fitzgerald is a fixture in the endurance running world, and I'm grateful to call him a friend, even though his marathon PR is about eight seconds faster than mine. Matt lives and breathes this sport and has one of the most productive mindsets about what it takes to be successful that I've ever encountered. We're discussing the very subjective topic of pacing today, which is the subject of his new book, On Pace, that you can find at 8020books.com, Amazon, or just about anywhere else. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Matt Fitzgerald. Matt, it is good to see you. Have you missed me since Endeavor Run? Um, that's a little strong, but um, I always enjoy seeing you and talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, you know, I do remember having this really interesting chat with you and and others at Endeavor Run about skill development in the sport of running, and it's kind of this interesting scenario because I, I don't really think there are a lot of skills within running. You know, we can get pretty far through like brute force and just getting in in good general shape, but you know things like maybe mental fitness and our mindset, uh, our running technique, and then our ability to pace ourselves, or maybe some of the bigger skills that we can develop uh, as runners. So we're going to go deep on the pacing side of skill development for runners today. And Matt, one of the things I've always loved about your approach to these different running topics is that you seem to have a core conviction about coaching or, or any area of running. And your thoughts on a particular topic always flow from that central idea about the topic. Do you have a thesis about pacing that guides how you think about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, my 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 corest of core convictions uh, with all things endurance is that, um, you know, all runners who are in any way competitive in nature who are seeking performance improvement um should pay attention to and broadly emulate the practices of the most successful runners um and and that goes for training goes for nutrition goes for you know mental fitness development and you can equipment you know everything um your know, recovery uh and and pacing as well and and you know, that is sort of as you know unsurprisingly if you know that that's my shtick basically you know, that's my approach to pacing too. It's, um, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of focus in my book on, um, yeah, you know, I, I use the term, um, master pacing masters. You can't say master pacers. I started there
0: <laughs> if you think it through, <laughs> you yeah, know, that, that sounds so, too similar to something else.
1: <laughs> yes. So <laughs> pacing masters, you know, like it, it's really true though, you know, having spent, you know, my share of time around elite runners, like, by and large, they're really good at pacing, and and most uh, recreational runners are, are not. Um, and it matters, and you know it's possible to improve. So that's that's my sort of like, that's my angle on on pacing. It's like look, look, how it's done by the best, and now how do we close the gap between you know ourselves and and the best.
0: I like that approach, and I, I think we share a very similar conviction about running, and that yeah, I do think we should look to the best in the world. And, and that's really independent of running, right? Whether or not you want to be a good writer or you want to be a good coach or a good runner, maybe you look at the really good writers and coaches and runners and, and try to learn their best practices. Now, I'm admittedly a little bit depressed about the state of pacing in the year 2022. I think of all the, the things that we are getting better at as runners, and, and one good example I think is strength training. I think over the last 10 years or so, many more runners have gotten more serious about strength training. They've recognized that they can't just run some type of strength training is going to be really beneficial for them. But with pacing, it's almost like we're going in the opposite direction and runners as a whole, not every runner, of course, are getting worse at this skill of pacing. Do you think I'm wrong? I think you're right, and that's why I wrote this book and and particularly why
1: I wrote it now, um you know, because you know I started running in nineteen eighty three and nobody talked about pacing then or or certainly not much because like it just wasn't an issue um you know everyone started off sucking at it, and everyone eventually got a lot better at it if they st- stuck with the sport and it, it really has changed um and you know, I think it's a function. I mean, pacing is hard. It, it, it is very difficult to to master, and, and you you can, it can take a long time. You know, for me, especially at the longer distances, it, it did. Um, but you know, aside from the fact that it's just inherently difficult, uh, there are there are two other reasons that I think that people are getting worse at it. And one, people are starting running later in life. You know, I, I was 11 when I ran my first. 10 K road race. Um, and you know, so if you start when you're 31 or 41, you don't have that just reservoir of experience because experience is the medium, you know, there, there aren't really many shortcuts to getting better. You, You can accelerate how much you learn from experience, but you can't substitute for experience. So if you don't have it, if you just started later, you know, you just, you just have no idea. You can't read your body the way an experienced runner can. Um, so that's another one. And then, of course, you know, technology, you know, we, we've become very, very uh, device dependent. And, you know, these tools that we use to to help us pace actually, um, you know, slow the development of, of our pacing skill. It doesn't have to be that way. Like the solution doesn't necessarily to go deviceless for the rest of your life. But, you know, it is a, a huge factor.
0: Yeah, I've experienced the same thing with GPS watches and my coaching practice and that a lot of athletes are are very dependent upon it. And I think it does interfere with that more intuitive way of learning how to pace yourself really well. But I also don't think GPS watches are going anywhere. I think we're going to continue to use them, even though I have a very love-hate relationship with my GPS watch. I'm going to keep wearing it. I've debated whether or not to get like a You know, cheap $30 Timex just so that I can have both on me at the same time and not really pay attention to my GPS watch. I love the simple functionality of a stopwatch, but most people are going to have a GPS watch. How can we better use this tool so that we're not over relying on it? It's not negatively impacting our ability to learn how to pace ourselves without it. And you know, not get in the way of all that communication that our body is giving us. Because I think that that's the key, right? It's paying attention to our body, not to our watch. Yes. Um, I think the
1: good news is that although, in fact, our GPS watches tend to, you know, retard our, our pace and skill development, they don't have to. In fact, they can ultimately, if you use it right, you can learn pacing faster with one than without one. That's the good news. Like um, it can actually do exactly the opposite of what it is doing for most people, because most people aren't using it. Right. So it's just a matter of like um, using it sort of selectively and, and maintaining control. Um, there's some, there's some cool research because we're not the only ones who are observing this. And even some, you know, some, you know, sport scientists are paying attention to it and doing studies about, how runners use the devices and device dependency, and looking at like how um, how usage evolves over time as as runners develop, and and what you see is like initially there there's just sort of like an exploration period, and then there's just sort of like a consolidation period where they you know runners will stop, they'll start tuning out to the features they realize are kind of irrelevant and focusing on um, some others, and then there's like a, a final stage where it's just like. Um, you know, which is sort of like the, the mastery phase where it's like, you're basically ignoring almost everything. And, and like, you're, it, it, you're, you're just sort of checking in with it. And um, really in the driver's seat of your relationship with the device. Um, so it's just like, the, that's the process. Um, and so, you know, in my book, I talk about like, just, you know, basically how to infuse training skill development into the running you're already doing. And your devices are, are a big part of that one way or another, like, you know, so the extremes would be, I do recommend that for, you know, most or all of your low intensity, easy runs, you are not keying off your, your device. There might be, have to be an initial calibration to, um, so that you know, you know, what like low intensity feels like. So you're not, um, you know, going, getting stuck in the moderate intensity rut just because you're not looking at your device. But just like, because that's 80% of your running there. And it's, it's pretty much like, Let's face it. Like as long as you don't go too fast on an easy day, there aren't a hell of a lot of other ways to fuck up an, an easy run. So, so like that that right there gives you a lot of practice and just it forces you to pay attention to your body more. So that that's that's, but that's not the. You know, I'm someone might pick up this book and think, oh, that's all he's going to say is like ditch your device. But no, that's just that's easy runs. Um, and then there are other ways to use your device that just to get you also being more mindful and learning how to calibrate the subjective against the objective because that really is what you're trying to do you know to know what a 732 mile feels like versus a 731 um and so there's a lot of ways you can do that um you know wh- one one example that i use in the book is precision splitting where if you're doing time based intervals say it's like you know s- 6 times 2 minutes um you uh you see how much um distance you cover in the first interval and you try and cover exactly the same distance in every subsequent one. So the precision is the point where it's like, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, if you're two or three hundredths of a second off, no, but the very effort to try to be that precise, um, allows you, you're going to do that workout anyway. So it's just another way of like, um, you know, sort of multitasking with a session like that. And you need a device to to, to do that. So that's like making like a, a sort of, a helpful use of it in patient skill development.
0: I like that. And you're reminding me of how I learned how to do hill workouts as a high school athlete because you w- we would run time-based hill workouts and we had hills that were so long that we could, you know, run up them for for 5 minutes at a stretch. We weren't doing 5-minute intervals. So it might be, you know, eight 1-minute hill reps and the coach would know if all of a sudden you weren't getting to the same place up the hill after a minute. And it was really good at forcing us to calibrate our effort over the course of the workout and almost a way to force yourself to learn this in a way that uh, it it can be really helpful. One of the things that you mentioned is, you know, listening to your body, listening to the feedback that you're getting and balancing the subjective and the objective. I think learning what things to look for when you're out there running? Like, what is the subjective? What language is our body talking about? When you say listen to your body? What do you actually mean by that? Yeah, that's a great question.
1: Um, so you know, the, the big one is, you know, what scientists refer to variously as um, perceived exertion, or I and Samuela Marcora uh, prefer uh, perceived effort, um, which is your sort of global sense of how hard you're working relative to your limit. Um, and you can put numbers on it, but it really is sort of like, it's best just to think about it in more qualitative terms or in sort of context specific ways, like such as, is this pace sustainable or how long can I sustain this, that, that type of thing. So you're just, you're sort of, you know, so we can all do this just like, you know, I can ask any runner, even who is, you know, who's new to the concept of perceived effort, like how hard are you working right now? One to 10. And, you know, and and they can do it. So, and it really is, it's sort of all, I mean, we, we, we sort of, we're honing in on what is exactly happening inside your brain that produces this perception, but we know for sure it is a distinct, you know, definite perception, just like perception of like temperature or, or pain or whatever, like it's real and it's a thing. And it's the thing that really matters when you're, when you're trying to just, you know, um, because, you know, I define pacing in the book as the art of finding your limit. Um, and that's why we need pacing. And so, and so that perception of effort is, is how it's, you know, that's how you um, situate your yourself in with respect to your limit, like, you're basically asking, like, how close to my limit? Um, am I like, how close to you know hitting the wall, um, the wheels coming off? Am I so that's the number one thing to, to pay attention to. But there's, you know, there's there's all kinds of nuance to it. And so another one of the tools that I talk about in the book is what I call uh, body scanning. Um, And that's where you you can do it. You can actually do them at rest. There are body scanning meditations, like a a type of mindfulness meditation. But when you run, you can just sort of like start from the, the crown of your head and go all the way down to your toes and just like, allow your attention to focus on one part of your body at the time and just check in and read it. And, and, and it just allows you to realize, Whoa, there's actually like a lot going on here. And, and that's a big part of it. Um, an example I give in the book, um, it actually, it's right at the outset. I talk about, uh, when Ken Nisa Beckley, um, came one second or two seconds shy from breaking the world record in, in Berlin. Um, and, he got, he was well into the race and someone else surged and he got gapped. And later he said, um, well, it's not, I didn't slow down. I just didn't speed up. Cause when I tried to, I, I felt something not right in one of my hamstrings and I knew it would just go sprawing if I just forced myself to cover the move. It's like, I wanted to win the race. I felt good energy wise, but like something told me just to wait and, and try to get through that and, and. And, and that that's a great example of how there's a lot going on and like a, a really skillful pacer can just see oh i've got like i've got a, like a weak link here that i need to just sort of baby for a second um and so you learn that sort of level of of refinement in in and reading your body just through you know just um I mean, experience is great, but you can waste experience. So it's a matter of like actively being like really mindful um, and sort of intentional with how you use experience to get better at reading your body.
0: So if you're out there running, especially if you're doing a workout or a race where the effort is high and you're paying attention to that global sensation of perceived effort, what are some of the individual inputs that make up that global sensation like are, are we talking about respiration rate are we talking about maybe how much you're sweating I mean how many different things are we gonna pay attention to
1: yeah um well you know that that's the nice thing about it is that um you know the you know the the thing itself I mean what's really going on is like you know that perception is it's it's top down it's feed forward um so it is not really based on uh, like afferent feedback from your body to your brain. So it's not like, oh, my blood glucose level is dropping and you know, there's a signal going from, you know, my muscles to my brain telling me that, and it feels harder. That's not what's happening. It's actually, it's entirely inside your brain. Oh, almost entirely inside your brain. And it's just a matter of how hard the um, certain areas in the pre-motor and motor cortex are activated. So, you know, the harder those parts of your brain are working, the harder your body's working. So it's just your brain is basically reading its own activity. And so it's able to account for everything because as your blood glucose level decreases, and your body's, uh, your muscles lose contractility, well, your brain has to work harder in order to maintain the same output. And so that's what causes your perception of effort to increase. So yeah, you are conscious of like if you're conscious of your core body temperature rising, that can feel uncomfortable and it can become limiting, but it's also completely distinct from perception of effort. It's just, a, it's a, it's, you know, it it impacts it, but it's separate. So you can just, you know, when you're trying to, when, you know, when, you know, to use your example of like, you know, when you're doing something that is sort of limit testing, whether it's a workout or a race, you really just want to stay you're you're gonna you're gonna notice some of the other stuff, but you you really just want to focus on that on the whole. It's you know, just like how hard am I working? How close to my limit a, am I? Like keep it simple. Uh, you know, neuroscientists refer to it as co- coarse graining, like just you know looking at the forest and not losing it for the trees.
0: I think that's helpful. I think especially for someone like me who might overthink a lot of different things and and really start paying attention to. You know, how quickly do my feet feel like they're staying on the ground and then lifting up off the ground? I might be getting a little bit too in the weeds. One of the things I want to get back to is this core conviction of yours that we should try to emulate the best and learn from them. How do the best learn this kind of intuitive, subjective art of pacing themselves? Well, you know, I really liked your description of pacing as, you know, the art of finding your limit and I would just love to know, you know, is it is it experience, it, can certain workouts help? Is it um, you know, a certain mindset even that you have when you're out there training? What what's actually helpful at building this skill?
1: Yep, experience is number 1. Um and then um I would say sort of attention is number 2 and that means like like you are thinking about pacing or you are practicing pacing related tasks um, or integrating pacing practice into the training you're you're already doing. So you're doing the running that's experience. And then you're sort of, um, you know, paying attention, uh, both actually, I would say before, during and after runs, if you look at, um, you know, there's some good research on how, like why some people get better at pacing faster than others and, And they tend to spend more time reviewing their pacing performance afterwards. So they'll actually look back at the workout or the race and pick it apart. It's like, here's what I did well. And I want to repeat, here's what I did did poorly. And I want to change next time. So that's how you get more out of the same amount of experience, but also there's a planning piece too, you know, like there's a lot you can do before the workout starts to set yourself up for effective pacing execution. And then, and then in the moment, um, and then you know the third thing is just um, you know just you know different types of um, almost games uh, you can integrate like you know if, then this is where you just because it gets more particular um, you know games and um, and you know like types of sessions um, and like. You know, I've, I've given you a couple examples already, like, you know, those, what I call naked runs when you're not paying attention to your device. Well, that, that is one right there. Cause like you're, you're already doing easy runs. Now you're doing them a little differently and you're doing them differently in a way that will help you pace better. And the precision split splitting, uh, is another one, um, just as a matter of like broad categories, um, I think there, there's really, there's really two buckets. Like, um, one is what I call specific repetition. Um, and that's where you kind of do the same task over and over and try to just get better and better at executing it. So if you have certain um, bread and butter workouts you do, um, you just the nice thing about repetition is that, um, you know, you start to notice more and more and more if, if almost everything about it is the same like the sameness becomes background and then you start to notice the particularities that, that are different. And, and so, you know, just using those bread and butter workouts, um, it's sort of like, um, well, let me get to the other one first. And the other one is exactly the opposite of that. I call them novel pacing challenges. And that's where you throw curveballs. That's a little bit more, I mean, everyone should do it, but that's where like, especially with someone who's made some progress with their pacing and they need sort of more advanced uh, challenges to get even better. Those you can, I have fun, uh, creating them for my athletes, like novel pacing challenges. One that I learned from the f- uh, legendary exercise physiologist, uh, Veronique a um, is long accelerations. So we, most runners are f- familiar with what we call accelerations, which is like, you know, 10 to 20 seconds of speeding up from a jog to a sprint, long accelerations play out over minutes. And the challenge is you have to be con- in a state of continuous acceleration for up to eleven minutes, <laughs> and so like it's really, it's it's, it's tricky, <laughs> but it, like the point is not like like you know no one's going to explode if you don't nail it. Nobody nails it, um, but but to try because it really forces you to like like, am I speeding up? And like, what do I do? Like the, the one time I did it before long COVID took away the ability to do this sort of thing. It was like, I pictured like a wall right behind me and that the, the wall was actually very gradually speeding up. And so it was pushing me forward. And, and I, I felt like, you know what? That is helping me from like, like kind of, uh, you know, relaxing. And because I, I didn't want to look at my workout file afterwards and see any, uh, any dips at, at all. So it's just like something I came up with that helped me in the moment. So that was like, super particular. But that's what it, that's what it comes down to. I mean, you, you asked you know, the question, like, how do you get better? And it's like, you can look at it broadly, but then it comes down to doing like, really specific stuff like that, like, where you blow it the first time, and then you try it again in three weeks, and you're better. And you're like, hey, progress, I'm getting better at this.
0: Yeah, I will say too that, I, I think your point of the repetition of certain types of workouts over time can be really helpful. You know, I, I think, You know, just as my background as a track athlete in high school and college, there's only so many different track workouts that you can do when you're training for the same distance races, right? So over the course of eight years competing in indoor and outdoor track, I got to run the same distance repetitions for roughly the same workouts. You know, it was very similar on a year-to-year basis. And that repetition made me pretty good at pacing because you kind of have to be, you kind of have to learn it through that, you know, school of hard knocks, the school of experience where you're just thrown into the fire and you kind of have to figure it out. I, I also have this opinion, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, that one of the best ways to learn pacing is, is with races, not necessarily with workouts, because races is where there's a lot more on the line. You're actually giving a 100% maximum effort performance where most workouts usually aren't at 100%, vast majority aren't. And it can be this great playground of testing your limits and your potential. But one of the issues I see with adult runners is that you know they love the marathon. And and I get it, the marathon's amazing, but we all run two, maybe three marathons a year, not a lot of tune-up races. And it just doesn't give us that experience of, learning how to hone our ability to pace ourselves well. So I'm a big fan of folks running more middle distance distance races so that they can race more frequently. And if you know the difference in effort between an 800 meter rep or race rather, a one kilometer race, a, a 1500, a 3K, a 5K, the difference in those races is on the one hand profound, But on the other hand, the the actual distance of all those races is fairly close to one another. You know, a lot of times we're comparing the marathon to a 5k. Those are in different universes. Meanwhile, an 800 and a mile, you know, it's, it's only the, the difference is only a half a mile, but the way in which you pace it is totally different. What are your thoughts on racing shorter races more frequently to get better racing experience?
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. In fact, I, I wish we'd had this conversation before I wrote the book, because I, I I would have recommended exactly that. Um, but, you know, I mean, more broadly, like, you know, because pacing is the art of finding your limit, and that you're only really touching on your true limits and races. Well, that says it right there. Like, you can only get so much pacing practice outside of the race and context because um, you're you're like you're you're learning you know the, uh, we haven't really touched on it but a big part of you know the, for me there, there are there are three pillars um, sort of sort of mental traits that are that are the pillars of pacing ability there are body awareness which we talked about judgment is number two you know pacing is really just a like a whole series of decisions and they're either good or bad or indifferent and so judgment is huge um and then toughness is the other one because you know the the limit is also perceptual in distance running like you can't push any harder than you feel you can um and that is a mutable limit you know like it's why you know, sci- study after study has shown that people are faster in competition than they are solo. Like that, like, is, you know, there's nothing physical different, you know, physically different about those situations. Um, so, um, and there's a great study I cite all the time and I cite it in the book. They had um, a bunch of kids, I think like fifth graders run the first three 800 meter races of their entire lives. Like, so they had never done this distance before and then they had to do three Um, but not on the same day. Um, But they were close enough together that there was like no training effect or anything. And they they also looked at um, how they paced. So their overall performance and how they paced them. And the kids got faster in each one. And the scientists who did the study thought they're going to get faster because they learned to pace it better. No, (laughs) they paced it the same every time. They just learned that it didn't kill them. Like it hurt, but it didn't kill them. So they just hurt a little more, and they're like, you know what? That hurt, but I think it didn't kill me. So on the third one, they went even harder. Like that gets to your point right there. Like you just discover how much hurt you can take, um, and you get tougher through racing. And and the I mean, you really shouldn't race and training. So there is kind of no substitute. Um, so obviously, you know, the, you know, the folks who park run every Saturday, well, that's not the way to <laughs> to develop as a runner either. But, but I do agree, like, there's really something to be said for that. Um, and I'm going to steal that idea and recommend it to others.
0: <laughs> you know, Matt, I've always found too, that it's, it, it's really interesting, because that skill of recognizing that racing's not going to kill you, you can probably hurt more than you think you can. That skill atrophies faster than almost anything. I would have to relearn that at the beginning of every single season. And it's like you take a month off of racing and it's just gone. You're like, oh my God, I have to race again. What is this gonna feel like? I'm so nervous, especially after a summer of, you know, mostly easy base training for cross country, you line up in your first race and you're so nervous because you haven't gone to the well in such a long period of time. Uh, so I, I think it's, it's even more important to flex that skill and and flex that muscle pretty regularly. Um, because if you don't, you just sort of let it atrophy.
1: Yes, very true. Um, that's why I, I've always been a big fan of rust busters for that reason. Just like, like, somewhere toward the end of you don't want to race when you're just simply not ready and you could hurt yourself but like uh just jumping into uh you know 5k 8k 10k um you know when you're just transitioning from base training to more specific training just get get out there and put your feet in the fire um and like i always got a bump from those it's like well that one race didn't make me fitter but it 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 uh it taught me how to go to the well. Um, and then you can use that going forward.
0: For sure. I love the, I love the rust buster term, just you're certainly rusty and you've got to get out there and, and get the rust off. And usually those races don't go very well, but they're also very, uh, at least in my opinion, they're very confidence inducing because even though they don't go well, you're like, well, I sort of screwed up my pacing and I wasn't very tough at the end and I had unrealistic expectations going in. So you start to identify all of these different areas in which you can improve. And then your second race back is usually so much better because you improve on just those areas of, of low hanging fruit. I want to talk a little bit about those three pillars of pacing skill that you talked about. You talked about uh, body awareness, which we've discussed you know, a lot of the, some of the different inputs that go into that, but how we should probably focus on it from a more holistic global perspective and then toughness. So maybe the last half or third of a race, we can probably run harder than we think we can and and go a little bit further. And then there's this area of judgment. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by good judgment when it comes to pacing?
1: Yes. Um, you know, judgment really is, um, you know, the ability to, to make decisions you're happy with. Um, and, uh, and, and that is really what's going on. You know, w- w- when you're, well, we'll just focus on races. Um, you know, when you're running a race, sometimes you're, you're very consciously deciding like, should I go with that guy's surge? Or, um, you know, should I push it on this hill? Or like I'm going through a rough patch, you know, should I back off a little bit? And, and like it's you know, like the, the decisions that are so overt in your mind that you remember them afterwards. But also just like on a more of like liminal level of of consciousness, you're 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 making decisions, you know, moment to moment throughout every every race, and you know they might not feel like decisions, um, but you are like you know you're not on like a, like a motorized treadmill that's deciding how fast you run. You are making a decision (laughs) about, it's like, it's completely your, your choice. Um, And, and, and so, but it's also broader than that. You know, there's like, there's all kinds of like, um, it's not just deciding how fast you run, but um, all kinds of tactical decisions. Like um, if you turn into a crosswind, you slow down a bit to get behind the runner you passed a moment ago tons of, tons of stuff like that. Um, you know, the, the decisions you, you make before a race about like, you know, your, your pacing plan and like, you know, and you know, do you, do you go run on the course ahead of time? Or like, do you study results from previous years? Like all this, like judgment feeds into this, like, it, you know, runners who go into a race prepared because they had the good judgment to prepare, tend to, uh, be happier with their, their pacing um and then there's that um sort of like that post hoc analysis that also is part of it um you know like you you exercise good judgment as someone who wants to get better pacing by looking back at your your pacing performance and workouts and races and picking it apart you know giving yourself an attaboy for what you did well and taking yourself to task for things you didn't uh, but making a plan to improve them so uh, you know judgment is it's critical in in all kinds of different ways uh, with respect to pacing
0: have you encountered any judgment common errors or mistakes that occur among a lot of runners cuz i think this is this is kind of getting to the experience side of things and and whether or not you you make a move you cover a move you respond to a competitor in a race you know the, the there's no good answers to those scenarios, because it it depends on a lot of other things. But have you seen judgment mistakes that are common in the general running population?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, just like being reactive, generally speaking, is, um, is a big one. Um, because, you know, so much of it comes down to, um, just being in control. You know, we talked about that, uh, vis-a-vis the devices earlier just like it's fine to use one but like you need to be definitively (laughs) in control in in that relationship and that's what you see with the pacing masters um and and so you know what what can happen is um you know like like an example uh, you know that you see in the more competitive context is like like I, i i i'm sure you too like i i lost track of how many times like I would pass a fading runner in a race who would just automatically try to keep me from letting, (laughs) from passing. It's like, you're just burying yourself. (laughs) So like, I I am clearly so much stronger than you at this point. (laughs) Like, it's like, you know, I I admire your pluck, (laughs) but you're not, you know, why don't you just gather yourself and like, you know, put a target on my back and see if I, get my turn to fade or something. But like, that's just being like reflexively reactive and not, I mean, I I, don't get me wrong. i like the competitive spirit I see there, but like ultimately like the runner's going to give himself or herself the best chance of beating me, um, by just not letting me control their, their race.
0: So is this similar to run your own race and your own pacing plan, as opposed to just reacting to what every other runner is doing on the course?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's, there's lots of ways to be reactive. Like, like one could be, um, you know, your shoe comes untied. Um, and you know, you have that, oh shit moment. Then you're like, should I just keep running or should I stop? You decide to stop, you tie it. And then like a, like a more reactive runner with, with poor judgment will sprint the next, you know, if it's the, you know, the final of the Olympic 5,000 meters, I get it. Okay. There's <laughs> kind of nothing to lose there. But if like, you know, if you're, um, you know, six miles into a marathon or something, and that happens, like, I, I know, you know, this is true. There are runners who will insist on maintaining their, they, they want their split to be right for that mile, despite the mishap. And so they will sprint to make up the lost time, like burn three matches that they can't afford <laughs> you know, to waste with 20 miles of running left in front of him. And that like that is an example of um, just reactive poor judgment.
0: Yeah, that resonates with me very strongly, because I I think we've both been in lots of situations where you just start wondering what people are doing on the course, because you know, even though you don't even know that runner, you know, what they're doing is a mistake. It's just clear.
1: Well, think about all the, think about all the poor. And I don't mean to sound like elitist or anything. I'm just talking about like, I'm, this has nothing to do with like being experienced or fast or anything. We're just talking about judgment. And I think, you know, if anyone's like thinking this Max sounds like a jerk, like just think about how many, like when you're driving and like all the examples of bad judgment you see in, in drivers, it's really just the same thing. On the race course, except there's no car. You know, that's all we're really talking about here—just people, you know, just making bad decisions that, you know, affect only them usually in races.
0: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, one aspect of this that I, I wanted to touch on a little bit more—you you were mentioning earlier how it's important to both review workouts and races and reflect back on how you paced them, how you executed your plan. And I think that reflection period can be really helpful, and is probably another good uh, reason why everyone should be writing down some some training ideas about their running in a training log somewhere. But let's talk a little bit about the pre planning phase of this, because you know you mentioned how a, a good pace plan and, and learning this skill really starts even before you line up on you know the race course or you start that workout. What can you do beforehand? To make sure that you're pacing yourself well and, and you're continuing to learn this valuable art and skill
1: yeah um yeah you can sort of back into it a little bit because if people are like you know how much planning do you really need to do well there's stuff you might not think about like for example imagine a runner who has like like a you know an important race pace workout they're going to do on, on a saturday and they procrastinate in the morning or they're just like ah i'm feeling a little unmotivated, I'll get to it. And then by the time they do the run, it's hot. And the the pace is no longer realistic. It would have been if they'd done it three hours before. So like, that's an example right there. Or it could be like, you know, you want to run with a partner for the, ra- for, for the run, but it's like, it's an important work. It's important that you run your pace in this workout. So who, who you choose to run with, like you could make a bad choice um on who to run with or like once you've picked that person you can make a bad choice about um you know keying off them when they're erratic or or what have you um so like little decisions about you know where you run who you run with what time of day you know the route you pick um also just i'm thinking about like you know just like you know like if if you have coach they're doing it for you presumably but like you know having like um you know, performance goals that make sense. Um, you know, like you have to understand, like, what is the point of the workout? And then, you know, what, what paces should I be running in order to get what I'm supposed to get out of that workout? And like that, that doesn't decide itself, honestly. Like if you just go into it, like, oh, you know, it's, um, you know, it's six times two minutes to go back to that example. And this should be you know kind of hard, all right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Um, but you can do a lot more planning than that to ensure that like, you, you know what the workout is supposed to do. And and it does that.
0: Yeah. I think when, when it comes to performance, we've got to be precise with our pacing or else it's, it's going to be very difficult for us to actually achieve whatever time goal that we might have or pacing goal that, that we might have. Um, do you think, listening. Well, let me, let me preface my question with, um, I I think your note about being mindful about what you're doing when you're racing or running a a formal faster training session, a workout, I think is spot on. We've got to be actually engaged with what we're doing. Do you think listening to music when you're running a workout or you're running a race or, or a podcast, I know the strength running podcast is fine. You can listen to that whenever you (laughs) want to, but, but it, do, do those things distract you from the precision that's required or even distract you from, you know, all those signals that you're getting from your body?
1: Yeah, I would think, you know, you know, we know that, you know, tempo music, um, is measurably performance enhancing, um, for, you know, workouts and, and, and races. So, I mean, like it can, it's one of those psychological factors that actually affects where your limit is, um so it it can be an aid in that regard, but could yeah, it could also be a limiting crutch because it is something that is you know y- your your brain has only so excuse me so so many attentional resources to distribute, and so if it's giving a bunch of them to um music in your head it it is um you know less of it is going toward interoception and um you know pace i mean it's like you know we can walk and chew gum, so especially if like you know, like if you just, if you don't do it all the time. Um, so I think, you know, like a, like a, a runner who has only ever run, like with music it has probably, it's another one of those factors that is, you know, dampened their, their ability to read their bodies. But if you're like me, like I'd been running forever when I s- first started running with music. And even then I only did it when I was in the mood for it. I think there it was, know it it didn't hurt me i could i could choose it when i wanted it and it, it wouldn't have any kind of negative impact and i think any runner can can do the same
0: yeah it seems to me that you either need to have that deep well of experience before you start relying on music when you're trying to run hard or if you just started running with listening to music We've got to be a little bit more selective over how much we're listening to music and in which workouts and races we might be listening to music because there's a little bit of a balancing act. You know, we've we've got to pay attention to our body and we maybe want to use that music as a performance aid in some workouts and races. Do you have any additional advice on on how to strike that balance and and how to maybe? you know, if you are someone who's listening to music or podcasts for every single run, you just have to, it's like your, your escape from the world, go for your run and you listen to your tunes. How can we make that balancing act and and be a little bit more strategic with it?
1: I guess, you know, I I would embrace the, the benefits, um, without necessarily trying to convince yourself that you're going to like it. it. You know, It's similar to like, you know, like, You know certain runners i i've worked with that they um they're serious enough to want to improve but they hate speed work (laughs) they just they hate going to the track um but they will you know because they know it, it, it will so they just sort of like hold their nose and go to the track for some people who just you know they don't like running without music running without music is is like that like so they just if you if you're not persuaded that it can benefit you then then that's fine. But if you think, you know, it might, it, it might get you, um, you know, it might enable you to get better at, at listening to your body, then, um, just sort of embrace it on that level. Like, not like I have to love this, but like this, this is worth it. Um, and then, you know, and then sort of like, if you've never run without music to go back to that extreme scenario, well then any amount is, more than you've done in the past. So like, you don't have to like, you know, go from one extreme to the other, you know, just start with, you know, a couple sessions per week when you go music free and, and see if you can uh, acquire a taste for it. Um, just like, you know, just sort of like, just have, it. it's not that different from like, you know, if you've never done a, like a meditation before, um, where it can be like, it's it's like a version of that, where you're going from the usual chatter in your brain to like actually trying to empty it and some people are like boring who would (laughs) want to do that but like well there are benefits uh, to so doing so like you know give it a chance um ease into it um you know don't you know you you have a right to enjoy the sport so like if if you just you know don't like running without music um you know just make you know keep a lid on it so that that it's it's not more than you than it's worth it for you
0: yeah that's good advice i think it's trying to somehow make it work for you in whatever scenario you find yourself in right now one of the reasons why i I love this topic is because it's a little bit more subjective than other things in the running space it's also a little bit more skill oriented so we're not just talking about you know running 10 miles a day or doing xyz workout and uh, i think there's a lot of value in embracing the fact that it is a little bit messy It does require experience, like we've talked about. And experience takes time. It takes trial and error. I think a lot of runners don't want to error, but that's part of the learning process. Um, Is there anything we might have missed about this kind of nebulous topic of, of this art of pacing that I think is so important, but isn't as prescriptive as some other aspects of running?
1: Yeah. I think you you actually teed it up beautifully. Um, uh, you know, I, I try to say it, you know, in every interview or conversation on, on the subject of pacing, like I'm, I'm fond of saying, you know, the road to pacing mastery is paved with pacing errors. Like, like screwing up is how you get better. Like screwing up is good. And, you know, it's just like the only thing that's bad is making the same mistake (laughs) over and over, but you, 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 like you don't want to be afraid to screw up. You want to go ahead and risk screwing up. And, and a lot of the the tools that I teach, um, I, I'll say this: like I, I, a mistake I made early on when I decided to just like, you know, make make pacing skill development a point of emphasis in my coaching, and like I came up with all these techniques and tools that I wanted to use. Like the mistake I made was um, there were you know a couple athletes who felt like they were constantly failing. It's like you know but uh, like, like you know every, every time i do something like you know with a goal not just to do the workout but a, like a pacing related goal and it's not perfect i like i feel like i failed twice um and that that's no good you don't you, you don't want that at, at all but but at the same time so just approach it more as a, a game um and a, but a game where like failing actually because like when you try these especially these novel pacing challenges like the first time like that's the point you're doing something that is a little bit of a twist a little different from anything you like the chances of doing it perfectly are very slim but just accept it just embrace the catastrophe and then don't worry like the real benefit is when you get another chance um and you find yourself actually being able to use the experience of screwing up and and doing better um so yeah that i I think that's critical for athletes to, to understand that like messing up is the point um and if you're
0: as long as you're, um, you know, progress is progress. Like perfection can wait (laughs) for sure. And I I do like how we can embrace some of these failures. We can embrace some of this messiness of learning our paces. And as long as we're not getting too down on ourselves, it's just all part of the process. And that's just something to love being a runner. So Matt, congrats on your new book on pace. It's available pretty much everywhere, right?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I will say that, uh, I am the publisher of this book so that's a first um my my company 8020 endurance created our own book publishing imprint this is our first release so we're sort of inventing the wheel um t- distribution and and such but uh the hub it is available in pretty much everywhere um but it, like the hub for well you might put it in the show notes but 8020 um 8020books.com um is where you can see where where you uh preferred retailer and all that kind of jazz, digital print.
0: Okay, cool. 8020books.com. I know it's on Amazon because I was looking at it earlier today. So I'll include links to all that in the show notes. Matt Fitzgerald, always a pleasure. Right on. Thanks for listening in, my friends. If you found value in this episode, I would so appreciate a review in Apple Music or wherever you happen to listen to your podcasts. And for those who want to learn more about our coaching options, go to strengthrunning.com slash coaching. And if you love this podcast, please consider supporting our sponsors who help make it possible. Our newest sponsor is Sore Running. Learn more about them at soarrunning.com and be sure to use code SRUN15 for 15% off your order until the end of October. I have been inseparable from my one-inch split-leg sore shorts and my sore painter's hat this summer. And for good reason. Their gear is elite level. They have technically groundbreaking wet and cold weather gear that's guided by their function-first mentality. The result is just amazing apparel that's incredibly comfortable, light, and just effective at helping you train really well. They're at the forefront of design innovation with ergonomic designs, cutting edge fabrics, and continuously updating their clothing that just keeps getting better. A good example is their men's racing singlet, which is now the lightest on the market at only 48 grams in a size medium. I've loved everything I've worn from Soar because it's made for performance and it just fits amazingly. Get equipped for all your running adventures this fall at soarrunning.com. Get 15% off your order with code SRUN15, that's SRUN15, at soarrunning.com. But don't wait, that code is only valid through the end of October. Next, I want to hook you up with some free electrolytes. Our sponsor, Elemental Labs, is offering a free gift with your purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. You'll get a sample pack with every flavor that they carry so that you can try them all before deciding what you like best. Right now, I highly recommend the watermelon flavor. It just keeps on giving. Elemental Labs makes electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, no artificial ingredients or colors. It's surprisingly delicious. Seriously, everyone who I've given it to loves it, and it can be a helpful way to prevent dehydration this summer. If you sometimes feel overly tired, or you get headaches, cramps, or sleeplessness after long runs or workouts, you might have an electrolyte imbalance or a deficiency. Boost your performance and your recovery, especially in the heat, with Elemental Labs. They're the exclusive hydration partner to Team USA Weightlifting, and quite a few professional baseball, hockey, and basketball teams are on regular subscriptions so that they never run out. Check them out at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning to get your free sample pack gift with a purchase and you can get your hydration optimized for the upcoming season. That's our show today, my friends. Thank you for sharing this episode with your friends, for your reviews and Apple music, and most of all, for your dedication to this sport. We'll talk soon.